Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. This is a space where we share stories from activists around the world. We hope that these stories inspire you to act locally as we share. Well, I don't have a problem with you. Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. We're going to start today, as always, with a land acknowledgement. A recognition that we are on stolen land is not enough when the genocide we call history still continues today and is reinforced by the daily lives of those unaware. Residential schools only closed their last doors in 1997, but the mentality of the residential schools lives on. White people imagine living in a place that not only normalizes genocide, but actively covers it up. We don't live here because a peaceful treaty was signed. We live here because white people before us brutally pushed their way in. This includes our current government, RCMP, and church, and we need to acknowledge this and the harmful systems it brought with it before we can even attempt to create reconciliation. It is a privilege to not know that you are living in such a way that makes a genocidal reality seem like regular everyday life. I would still like to recognize that the stolen land I am speaking from is rightfully the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations and was forced to be the home of Treaty 7. These nations are Siksika, Gaina, and Pigani. In these spaces, the Siksika Gates of the Pee people lived and practiced their oral traditions as far back as existence goes. Treaty 7 was signed on September 22, 1877 in a brutally unethical way. This treaty was not upheld. Treaty 7 includes the Satina Nation, the Stony Nakona Nations, and the Métis Nation of Region 3. So, in short, this space, known as Calgary, is rightfully known as Mokinstis. Thank you. So today we have Craig from Rock Soup Greenhouse and Food Bank, which is a barrier-free um, and free food bank that is intentionally secular and separate from the government. Um, thank you for being here, Craig. He is also the executive director and co-founder. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes, I'm very excited to have this conversation. Um, you guys haven't been around super long, but you've made a pretty big impact since you've been here. Um, so I, I'm excited to talk about your story. Thank you. Um, let's just jump right into what is Rock Soup? So Rock Soup was my, I guess it was my COVID fever dream. Um, like many, when the pandemic hit, I was put out of work. Um, I had post-traumatic stress. And for me, seeing all the PPE um, was a major trigger. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, like many, I was, you know, rediscovering myself. Um, I had two little kids. We were doing the stay-at-home school thing. And so like many, I returned to the garden and started growing uh, vegetables to share. And um, one of the stories I told the kids that year was the story of rock soup. Um, you know, a message where you can ask for help without actually having to ask for help. It's those community check-ins and um, it really inspired where we are today. Yeah, and you guys, so you feed 7,200 people every month. Is that correct? Uh, we, right now, so they... In our first year, we gave away over 30,000 full grocery carts um, and over 10,000 prepared meals to the houseless. And this year, we've over doubled that already. Um, we're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday right now just due to funding and volunteer restrictions. Um, but we're serving um, almost 100 families a day on average right now, just three days a week. That's crazy. That's a lot of people. 
It is. And, and because we're barrier free, we have people coming in from all over. So we sit in um, Treaty 6, we're in Wetaskiwin. Um, and so we have people coming in from uh, Muscogee's, Morinville, um, Pinoca, Edmonton, Deer, Calgary. Um, because when you come in, um, it looks and resembles like a grocery store. Um, there is no intake. There is no assessment. There's no burden of proof. It's just good groceries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a major barrier with most food banks is a proving that you are worthy of receiving said food. And then also, um, yeah, just the, the barriers that come with like, you can only go, I think, in Calgary, like four times a year. Um, so yeah, depending and, on the location, it's it's 14 to 30 days. Um, and the goal is to give you about three days of emergency food rations um, because we're talking food security. Um, but what Rock Soup tried to do is move the needle to food sovereignty. So what does it look like when we look past insecurity and look at sovereignty? What does it look like at the individual um, dinner table? Hmm. No, I like that. Um, I like that you also give people the choice of what food they should take home. Like I know at the food bank, they just kind of give you a bundle and then you're on your way and whether you're allergic to it or don't eat it <laughs> doesn't matter for me that was the the lessons of my own trauma is um you know being asked you know for your story or to justify you know your sense of need is re-traumatizing in nature um and they don't allow for any of that unpacking and then when there's further burdens of proof like you know bank statements or proof of income or proof of where you live um, those are major deterrents and somebody with trauma like myself, um, you know, those are usually deterrent enough to rather not eat. And so for me, it was, what does it look like if we put dignity first in that um, instead of, um, you know, humility? What does it look like if dignity leads that example? And, and for me, it was, how do I feed my own kids? Um, what does food sovereignty look like for me? Well, it looks like pushing a cart around a grocery store. Um, so why isn't it like that? Yeah, yeah, I like how on your website it says it shouldn't cost you dignity and autonomy to feed your family. Um, I really like that. And it's, I think it's just obvious, but I'm glad that somebody's doing it because even though it's an obvious thing, it's not something that's offered really in a lot of places. Yeah, across Canada, the, um, the main model from food banks is the food insecurity model. And even if you look at most of the food bank's mission statements, it's not to provide food security. It's to provide immediate relief. Um, so even in those services, you're only going to get a couple days worth of food. Um, for me, the lesson was the tent. I slept in a tent for two months to start Rock Soup over Christmas and New Year's. Um, and the major food bank staples are parboiled rice, pasta. Um, and so I ask, if you're living rough in a tent like I did for two months, where do you make the pasta? Um, if you have gluten allergies or, or nutritional barriers, diabetes, um, you know, did we feed you with that food? Um, and so if the question is no, you know, is it about the individual access or about the service model? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your, um, experience sleeping in a tent. You did it as initially you did it as a fundraiser, um, to raise money and awareness um, for Rock Soup, is that right? That is correct, yeah. From um, December, uh, yeah, November to January 8th. That is a long time. Um, and that is a good point, like where would you cook the food? Um, 
right? Do you have a can opener? Where are you going to get the water to boil the rice or the pasta? Um, you know, do you have serving dishes or a spoon even? Um, and so those very basic questions, if those can go unanswered, you know, what about, is this a school lunch for a kid? You know, does that senior have teeth to even be able to eat that food? Um, you know, is that um, fruit in sugar sauce appropriate for a diabetic or somebody with some nutritional barriers? And, and I know shopping, feeding people is hard. I got two little kids. If you've ever fed a toddler, you know. Um, and so why, why are we restricting ourselves? Uh, I push the shopping cart around the aisles. I get the food that my kids and my family needs for their unique um, nutritional needs and what they're actually going to eat. You know, the, the struggle is real. And so, um, you know, anything we can do to make it easier, um, I think we should be here for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you guys um, take it, I think, a little bit further. Like you have a free cafe um, and a boutique and aquaponics and all that fun stuff. Um, so you don't just offer um, food, you offer um, gently used clothes, um, new clothes, um, dignified service, of course. Um, yeah, I, I guess what does the, I should have maybe grabbed a video, but like what does the store look like um, it has like a boutique section and then it has just like a grocery store aisles. I've seen videos. Um, yeah. So when you, when you walk in, you're greeted with, uh, you know, the kind of front end counter that you would see in a grocery store. You see the kind of corral of carts um, that are painted up all rainbow colors by the kids here. Um, you're greeted by staff, you know, instead of getting asked, you know, is it your appointment time or have you filled out the assessment? You're greeted with a good morning. How are you today? Um, and so as soon as you come in, it's a grocery store, about 3,000 square feet. Um, there's a kids section, a little library right at the beginning, so kids can come in and do crafts. There's story time. Um, and then as you proceed through the store, there's the pet food section, the hygiene section, and then there's the baby section. And then you go into our boutique area where we share um, everything is um, donated um, so kids clothes from kids clothes to housewares um, yeah so then once you're in the boutique um, so it's all household from kids toys to clothing and then um, we're in our greenhouse that we can grow in uh, four seasons so uh, about a thousand square feet of that greenhouse is set up permaculture uh, organic growing um, de dedicated to producing produce for the food bank um, and aside from um, the food and vegetables, we also grow some traditional medicines as well as sage and tobacco to be able to share in the communities. And then on the other side of the greenhouse, we have our aquaponics set up. Um, so right now we're sitting at about 20 tilapia. They're about two pounds right at that stage of reproduction. And then the fish water itself circulates into our two grow beds where we're growing tomatoes, some peas and some kale. Um, so it's its own little ecosystem. We can feed the tilapia parts of the kale and the peas. Uh, the tilapia are at the stage of reproduction, so we can harvest them for meat. And then everything um, feeds itself. We even use the fish water to fertilize the rest of the plants around. Hmm, that is cool. Um, and you guys, your aquaponics, um, is it, if I remember correctly, part of your, um, your commitment to truth and reconciliation? Yeah, it's all part of that food sovereignty is that access to that local sustainable um, food. So in my in in the dream of the aquaponics, we'd be growing um, something locally like trout, 
um, but trout is really hard to grow. So as a proof of concept, we tried tilapia because it's much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool that you guys do that. Um, and then, so when you started this in this whole endeavor, you um, you started raising money by sleeping in a tent. And from the news stories, I was seeing you guys were getting pretty positive uh, feedback from the community. Um, there was um, lots of different news stories about um, how you're starting up um, a new like a new normal. Um, and no one seemed to have a problem with you sleeping in a tent, <laughs> but when shit kind of hit the fan, um, you guys hadn't really been open that long, I guess. Um, but then the hub shut down in Wetaskiwin. Um, and the hub was, it had only been open about a year, I think. And it was a houseless um, center just for people to stay. Is that the right, am I wording that right? Yeah, a shelter, 24 hour support. So they had nurses, um, counselors, addictions therapists, um, three meals a day, a place to sleep and store their belongings. Mm -hmm. And then the, so the city decided to shut that down earlier than the lease um, was given. Um, and at that, and you guys had only been open for maybe like six months at that point. Yeah, just a couple of months. Yeah. And so uh, um, some of those people from the shelter showed up at your food bank looking for a place to stay and you obviously didn't say no. Um, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. Um, so that was in August. So uh, the city gave uh, uh, 90 days notice. I think it was yeah, three months notice on the open door to close the shelter. And there was no mitigation plan. Where are people going to go after? Um, we were looking at a minimum of about 55 people that relied on that for 24-hour services and that were living there. Um, and so, you know, what do you do? And for me, I'm from Edmonton. And, and when you see big displacements like that, you see large tent cities pop up. Um, and, you know, when there's a vacuum of services, people gather around wherever there's anything. And, and so for me... Um, you know, I, I approached the city and we started advocating at that point, well, there needs to be some sort of risk mitigation plan. You know, these are basic human rights here, access to food, access to shelter, access to medication, safety. Um, you know, what's the plan? Where is everybody going to go? And so I went back to the tent. You know, for me, um, Rock Soup was kind of inspired on this access to our houseless people. And so I set out the tent in the front of Rock Soup. And I slept another month in it over the summer, um, just advocating for the hub. We had the big hub love sign outside. Um, we would do regular um, interactions with the community. We'd go over to the shelter, um, you know, a lot of outreach. And so when they closed the shelter on August um, 9th, people came here. Um, they came here with nowhere else to go. Um, and they came here and they asked, um, you know, what do we do? Can we stay? Can you feed us? Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I have post-traumatic stress. I don't always come at things from the healthiest perspective, but when somebody comes to your house hungry, you feed them. When somebody comes to your house cold, um, you know, you give them a blanket. And so that's what we did. And um, within two days, um, we had 50 tents and 55 people. Um, and they had nowhere to go. Um, I live on site here uh, with my two kids. And so myself and my two kids welcomed family. 
um, we treated them as family. Um, and you know what? They responded like that. Um, I had no issues from the campers. Um, it was a group of beautiful people. Um, the group consisted of primarily Indigenous people. Um, I would say out of 55, 50 of them were Indigenous. I would say um, the majority of them were over 40. Um, there was a lot of seniors. Um, the majority of them had some sort of physical or um, emotional disability. Um, a lot of them were heavily, um, they're very sick. They're very sick. Um, and so what do you do, right? And so we did our best. So we built a kitchen out of nothing. Um, I started this with nothing. We all of a sudden had 55 people we needed to feed. And so um, there was a building being torn down and we recycled all the materials and we constructed our kitchen. And so we've been able to do 10,000 meals out of that kitchen now. Um, and it's inspired from, from our community. Yeah. Um, this would be a good place, I think, to play the clip of, um, so I don't say in the news station wrong because I've done that before, APTN News um, did a pretty good story. It's a two-part story. We're only going to play the first three minutes of the first one, but I'll link both of them below because they did an actually really good job. So, The hub in Wetaskiwin opened in November of last year. It housed 60 people each night and provided services to hundreds more. In May, the city of Wetaskiwin pulled the lease on the city-owned building. The city said complaints from businesses and residents about increased crime caused the decision. Tyler Gandam is the mayor of Wetaskiwin. As time went on, we were seeing a big increase in the number of people downtown. Uh, then there became an issue when uh, people were becoming or being accosted. Uh, there was assaults happening downtown. Uh, open drug use, open alcohol use. When the shelter closed on August 9th, many had nowhere to go. Some arrived on the doorstep of the Rock Soup, Greenhouse and Food Bank. Craig Halbertson is the executive director. If we close the shelter, where are people going to go? If we close the shelter, um, you know, how are people going to eat? And these questions just kept going unanswered by, um, by the powers that be. And so on August 9th, when the shelter closed, 22 people showed up on our doorstep here at the Rock Soup Greenhouse and Food Bank um, because they knew um, we wouldn't turn them away. They had to set up quickly. Rock Soup is providing land for tents, food, clothes washing, and paying for showers at the nearby pool. We're volunteer run. Um, so me and about um, seven volunteers put together camp for 22 in two hours. Um, they came with no tents, no blankets, no nothing. We put the call out to our community on social media and, and people rallied. And so we were able to um, shelter, feed, um, and clothe 22 people on night one. V. Duncan is a mental health and homeless advocate. He's working with the Rock Soup to help those in Wetaskiwin who need it. He says the city doesn't have a plan for the winter to help the people staying here and the other encampments in the city. They want to move everyone over behind, like, this empty lot behind Walmart. And it's kind of ridiculous because they aren't offering any uh, amenities, washrooms, food support. Both Duncan and Halbertson say the reports of crime are overblown. Because they're saying that it's bringing more crime to the neighborhood. But I don't see that really happening. A lot of these people are pretty respectful to the area. Um, and, and 
a lot of it's just blatant racism from like city of Wetaskiwin members. Uh, a lot of them drive up and they'll yell at the campers, go back to the reserve, you, you know, dirty Indians, uh, you don't belong here. I think more it's about the perception of the people than the actual people. Um, and I've seen that here firsthand. We're seeing overt racism here in Wetaskiwin, um, unlike I've ever seen in my career. I worked in children's services for a long time. I've never seen racism at this level. Mayor Gendam says the site behind the Walmart will provide washrooms, garbage disposal, and a fire pit. The location has been used in the past. He says the city is working towards a permanent solution. Not everything has gone smoothly. We haven't gotten it right every time, but we learn from our mistakes and we're going to continue to do that and continue to make that effort. Are you confident that there will be a solution and a place for these uh, people to stay before the winter? I am confident, yeah. So, with that clip in mind, um, I like everything you said and that V said it's important, I think, to talk about um, the issues that are coming from within the city um, and the attitudes that are coming from within the city that are causing these issues. Um, yeah, it, it does actually, like, if we're, we didn't play the second clip, but in the second one, um, APTN News actually goes and talks to the RCMP and just asks them, like, what the crime rate actually has been in the past year. Um, and the RCMP told them that it has been going down. So what they're saying about the crime rate going up and the issues of crime being the eviction, like the reason for eviction, um, either they made it up or the police are wrong. And I don't know which one I like more. So, um, yeah, Craig, I'll throw this to you. Yeah, um, you know, to say the response from the city was anything other than completely surprising was an understatement um you know when when there's no place for people to go um you know you expect people to rally right you expect people to support um you know the need and the the, the entitlement to these basic human rights but instead of that support um we saw a lot of stuff propped up that was either inaccurate untrue or you know racist um all the city council meetings are available on the city's YouTube page. Um, I encourage people to read them, especially over that time of the initial hub closure. Um, the, the voices of the community that are, that are propped up and that were propped up were allowed to um, spread information that wasn't true. The, the RCMP stats that you mentioned um, are a perfect example. Um, you know, the RCMP presented their quarterly and their yearly reports, um, and they had clear information of the significant decrease in community-related crime associated with the houseless population. But instead of rallying behind the actual evidence, um, the community took anecdotal stories, um, and a lot of them were based on either bias, racism, hatred, you know, anti-drug anti use, mental health, um, and, and that was the messaging that was propped up through council meetings, through councillors themselves, um, using these either direct aggressions or microaggressions, you know, referring to the population as needing to be locked up or going back to where they come from. And again, this is a primarily Indigenous population. 
we sit 20 minutes away from four distinct First Nations. And so when comments like these are made um, by elected officials and, and people in prominent positions of power, um, the community spreads them and they act a certain way. And so as the community and the city and the municipality um, really minimizes the experience of these individuals and really plays them as the, you know, for lack of a better term, villain in this, the community responded. And so we had a lot of attacks on, on ourselves as volunteers, a lot of attempts to, to attack the campers. Um, I myself was hit by two cars in my parking lot, people trying to get at the campers. Um, and these are citizens of Wetaskiwin. These are seniors, um, you know, inspired by the rhetoric um, spread by council. Um, councillor threatened to come here with bulldozers and tear down the tents and the teepee. Um, and th that was just said in the council meeting, just supported. Mm. And so as we were trying to do um, what we needed to do for these 55 individuals that were struggling, um, we were villainized ourselves. Um, and so as we tried to move forward as a food bank, as a, as a nonprofit inspired by, you know, the TRC and food sovereignty, and um, we were put on the outs um, because of a situation that was out of our control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so they tried to shut down Rock Soup. Um, they tried to remove people right away. Um, they argued with you guys the entire time. Um, yeah, they sent RCMP here almost, I want to say like several times a day, um, almost hourly at some points. Uh, members of the community would drive by yelling racial or hateful slurs. Um, we were served with a stop order notice that I had to appeal and pay a fine in order to keep the people here while an additional plan was made. Because all the all the time that the city was trying to evict Rock Soup because they tried to get me out of this building and tried to end um, our food bank itself. And like I said, we have a lot of community members that rely on us outside of just the houseless. Um, and so on top of all of that, um, there was no plan for people to go. So they were demanding that they leave here, but then go where? Um, and so we we pushed that the city set up in a campsite um, so that there was a safe place for people to go. Um, at Rock Soup, we had power, we had bathrooms, we had a shower uh, stall brought in, um, we had hand washing stations, fire pits, um, we had an indoor space, a kitchen where people could cook. The city didn't put any of that stuff in the city uh, site. Um, there was no power. So they set up the tent site uh, on the south end of a Walmart um, here in Wetasquin. Um, and there was still no plan. Um, people went without food. Um, there was no access to regular counselors, addictions, therapists. Um, and so we were put in the place again, like, do we continue to provide services to those who need it? Or do we respond in the manner that the city is insisting and we back away? The open door uh, as an agency themselves were um, not allowed to, to serve at all in, in the city. The city had actually threatened them with fines that if they came onto city property um, to provide these services that their staff would be fined. Um, and so these individuals 
um, went without. And so that was the second video shown um, by uh, APTN is at that city campsite. Um, and so we sit here again this year, um, same issues. The city um, ended the lease um, early for the shelter. Um, you know, this time they had nowhere near the supports they had last time, but at least there was four doors in a, in a heater. Um, and again, there was no mitigation prior or following the closure, um, just the displacement of individuals to the, to the bushes. Um, and the difference between this year and last year is, you know, last year we had a community of, of the people, the street peeps themselves were the community. They took care of themselves. They, they lived together. They protected each other. Um, this year, they didn't get that. They were scattered into the trees. Um, and so there was significantly more deaths in the community as a result of the opioid poisonings and, and just an absolute, you know, vacancy of services. Yeah, it was really sad to watch um, them, like the, they interviewed, um, like one of the people from the Open Door, is that what they're called? Um, the so staff, yeah. Yeah, so the group that used to run the the um, the center, um, but it was unbelievable that they had bylaws that just wouldn't allow them to serve people. Like they said, they had to serve them through a fence, a barbed um, wire fence. So there's a farmer that owns the land right next to where that tent site was set up, and the farmer allowed the open door staff to go in their cow pasture to serve these individuals over a rusty barbed wire fence. Wow. Um, they, so the, the, I think it's like the mayor of Atasquin when they're interviewing him, he said that there would be washrooms and facilities like that. Was he speaking about the washrooms inside Walmart? No, he was speaking about the washrooms at the tent site because Walmart um, doesn't allow um, the campers in. Oh. Like so many of them. Many of the businesses around Wetaskiwin don't permit um, the people in. Um, so the main doctor's office for a lot of the our, our street community is in the little mall here in Wetaskiwin, um, but mall security doesn't let um, the community actually into the mall. Um, and that's the same where they would get their wound care uh, is in this mall as well, but there's no way to actually get in there because security doesn't permit our unhoused in there. Um, so even using the facilities in Walmart, um, a lot of them couldn't unless they, you know, were passable. Wow. Um, so did the city set up kind of like a, like a porta potty situation? Yeah, they had two porta potties put in. There was supposed to be an addition of a hand washing station, which wasn't put in. There was supposed to be lighting, but there was no lighting in. So this is a an uneven field that they were in. And so, like I said, there's people with disabilities, um, seniors. Um, there's a gentleman in a wheelchair. Um, you know, it was really hard to get around. Even when he was here and a lot of my parking lot is paved, um, it was still hard for a lot of the individuals to get around. Um, this is a gravel loose farmers, right? There was none of that. A lot of falling in nights. Um, people fell in campfires. There were some significant burns. Um, at one point, uh, the city administration had, had um, given some money for uh, some items to be brought out to assist the campers. Campfire, like firewood, it was getting cold. Um, so there was a bunch of propane tanks and, and propane heaters that were brought out. 
but none of this was regulated, no oxygen sensors, no, no consultation with the fire department. So there was catastrophic fires, fire department reporting life, life of loss could have been eminent. Um, you know, these are seniors. That's just disrespectful to put people in a situation like that, to be honest, like, and it's even more kind it's more deplorable because like you had a good space not a good space i guess but you had a space that was like showing respect to people and instead the city fought you on it consistently until they could put them in a lot behind walmart furthest and it's as far out of the city as you can get without being out of the city and as close to muscatchies as you can get without being out of the city so the the city literally displaced them um, and that was the, you know, the other than us, so we're on the completely, our food bank is on the completely other end of the city from where um, the city moved them. So them accessing our services became almost impossible because there's no public transportation in Metasquan. Um, and then on top of that, that end of the city they moved them is also the other um, food bank and the other um, soup kitchen. Um, is on the other side of the city. So instead of putting them around where the services are, they completely removed them. Um, and there's empty buildings. The, the building that they initially um, took them out of where the hub was continues to sit empty for this day. Um, so there's just no reason for that. There is, yeah, definitely. And it's really sad because between the first APTN news story on you guys and the second one um they reported four people died in between and that's just heartbreaking to hear all this um all these other points about it um and know just how disrespectful they were being treated and a lot of those deaths could have been prevented like a lot of them over this summer could have been prevented like those those overdoses in the midst of this opioid crisis um displacing people to the trees and so not only did they displace the people to the trees the city enforced uh 48 hour trespassing um so as soon as tents were identified rcmp and bylaw um went out and they were served a 48 hour notice either stapled stapled to the tent or left inside um following the 48 hours um rcmp bylaw and municipal staff um, will go and remove the encampment um, I would follow up in regards to what removal looked like, and it was a skid steer and a dump truck. Um, and so a lot of these campers, you know, had become family to us. And so uh, and, uh, an example of that is um, a senior couple. Uh, they're in their late 50s. Um, a gentleman just lost some toes over the winter due to frostbite and because they had nowhere to go. Um, and and uh, the female significant mental health, significant physical disabilities. Um, and they had nothing. And they, so they were served the 40 hour, 48 hours notice. They were um, at the same encampment right by where uh, the city had permitted access last year. The city is denying access to the campers that space this year. They are not allowed to go there. Um, and so um, we had gifted um, these campers a smudge pan, um, this anti, was one of the caretakers, like I had mentioned earlier, and she would always make sure that everybody was okay. Um, so she would always make sure that people had food and that, um, you know, if they were using that, she was around and, and paying attention. 
Um, and so she liked to share the gift of the smudge. That was her thing when she was sober. Um, that was, that was the thing that she, um, that was her thing. And so we had gifted her, um, this beautiful smudge fan so she could go and, and share that. And that was one of the things destroyed when they removed these encampments. Um, and that's just one of the stories, right? Like a lot of these, these peeps don't have a place for their belongings. So they literally carry everything on them. And so when bylaw comes in and they remove the belongings, they don't have access to that stuff ever again. These are treasures. Um, and it just goes into that, you know, the inhumane dehumanizing of this whole experience is, is why. And so because of these 48 hour, um, trespassing, um, mandates that the city has been pushing, um, the population has been pushed so deep into the trees that they're not even accessible by first responders anymore. Um, for us to be able to get out there and even deliver donations is a four by four. Um, or it's us driving around looking for people um, because they're so displaced now. That's really sad. Um, like, it's just too bad that, you know, Watasco and whoever is in charge is just, um, I don't know the right word for it, but like just the, the lack of education in these areas, maybe the lack of empathy in these areas, um, the lack of like understanding, um, even just like the assumptions that like if you hear from a few of your friends that you know hate crime in the, or crime in the area has gone up and you believe that but you don't check with the police like what is going on here even um, when it's reported in the same city council meeting um and that's the tough part and even when these things are said and they're said in council meetings they're not corrected um so they're allowed to exist publicly said in public forums you know but nobody's correcting this misinformation um or these, you know, the hateful statements or the, you know, the bigoted statements or, you know, the ones that are racist, those just continue to exist, um, you know, perpetuating that hate. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the difference in attitude from when, like, you guys first opened up. There was lots of news stories about, like, um, a food bank doing it a new way in a different way. Um, and then all of a sudden the articles changed to say, um, like, tension of tent city. Um I've found quite a few of those, unfortunately, um, and it kind of changed the narrative from like, um, this is a progressive group that we're going to welcome to the city to too progressive. They went too far. Um, they are stressing us out, which is, um, they, there was, oh, sorry. The city likes to use, and you'll hear it in city council meetings, the field of dreams. Um, that's what they refer to rock super. What I've done is that I built it and I brought them here. Like, no, these people already existed in your community. They have called Wetasquin home for a long time. Yeah, longer, um, than, longer than them. Kidding. But it's that blaming of, of where people are from. And so regardless of where people are from, they're here now and they need our help, right? And if human rights aren't for everybody, then who are they for? Yeah. And if these individuals in these positions of power aren't propping up these human rights for those that need it the most, why are they there? That's true. Um, even like... Honestly, none of the, besides APTN, like not a lot of the news was very good. Like even gl the global news article, I think made like focused a lot. I'm not even going to play it because like they focused so much on this one guy that 
was counter protesting you guys um, and they were just focused on a lot of the negative but not really a lot of the impact that was happening then i get that like show two opinions um that that dude that was counter protesting like um he had only been there that day and he had only been there right before global came um did he know global was coming does he have connections to global i don't know he definitely hadn't been visual or vocal prior to that um should he get the same amount of airtime that the people out there are actually struggling? No, right? Like that's not what equity looks like. Um, you know, people are out there dying and this dude with all of his privilege is out there, you know, toting that his property value is going down or that there's garbage in his lawn. Well, yeah, there's garbage in his lawn. There's not adequate services for these people. There's no infrastructure. There's no garbage, man. There's garbage, right? Like this, unless we invest in infrastructure, there's no options here other than this. Um, so it really frustrated me that that global allowed um, that that amount of inequity in that story, especially because when they were there, um, there was an ambulance on scene because I had just been assaulted. Um, I'd been sprayed in the face with wasp spray. Um, and so there was so much more to talk about in that, um, just the, the anger of the community um over over a group of people that are literally just trying to get through today um was astounding um and that the way our you know general media portrayed it um you know did they perpetrate or did they did they um help facilitate a lot of that misinformation right um that narrative about those people, um, that narrative about, um, you know, um, people using drugs or um, all the negative associations with that. Um, you know, mental health is mental health. If you don't have access to appropriate medication and supports, you're going to do whatever you can to not feel like you're on fire, um, period. Um, we shouldn't be supporting any other um right? Like negative attributes about our people struggling out there other than that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you, did you find um, it more difficult since those, I guess, since your, your fight with the city council about all this, do you find it more difficult to exist as a not-for-profit in Wetaskiwin? Um, yeah, like we're not funded. Um, Funding from the province is zero. Funding from this municipality is zero. Um, we made it a year and two days as a food bank, and then the Provincial Food Bank Association um, kicked us out. Um, they gave a couple of criteria for why they kicked us out, um, you know, being intentionally um, secular or non-secular, not connected to church and government was one of them. Uh, we're one of the only food banks at this size across Canada that's not run by some sort of church or government. Um, I don't know anybody's middle names or social insurance numbers. That was number two, demographics. Um, for one, it, it costs money to, to, to collect demographics. So as a nonprofit that I started out of my pocket, where am I going to get that money to, to create these databases and have all this stuff, right? Two, it's inhumane. The, the salad doesn't care who eats it or where it's eaten or what the race or ethnicity of the person eating it is. Um, those questions have nothing to do with food. Um, and the other one was um, that we serve people out of barriers. I feed people from the First Nations. 
that's federal money. You can't be dipping from two purses, according to them. I feed people on provincial assistance, such as age or old age. Um, you know, you can't be dipping from two, two provincial purses, they say. Um, so a lot of food banks, if you're on age or old age, tell you actually make too much money to get food. Um, age is 1650 for those of us in Alberta right now. I don't know how you can afford to pay attention for 1650 a month, no mind eat. Um, but the province says that you cannot access food from a food bank, you make too much. Um, so we were removed. And so we do this completely grassroots. We are families helping families. Um, HelloFresh has been amazing. Um, the way they, the reverence in which they handle their food and, and in which they treat it, um, we're able to share that with our peeps. Um, so HelloFresh shares anywhere from 10 to 20,000 pounds of food every week um, for nothing. Um, and this is fresh, beautiful, you know, meal kits. Um, even in the dream of rock soup, I couldn't imagine being able to share food like this. Um, and all we have to pay is shipping. And so right now, the burden of the cost is on me. Um, you know, as a community, we are able to fundraise some of this stuff, but a lot of it is still coming out of my pocket. Um, right now, to get the shipping is about $400 a week. So for about $1,200 a month, I'm able to share almost 60,000 pounds of food, um, but I'm on disability um, myself. 1200 bucks is my disability. Um, you know, we have rent, we have heat to pay. I'm still paying off the heat from last winter. Um, the struggle is real, um, but we're not going anywhere. Um, if anything, we're seeing uh, a percentage of new people, almost 10% every day of new people. Um, word of mouth is spreading. Um, people are hungry. Um, the true cost of inflation, um, you know, is, is at the end of the day, dinner. Um, it's lunch. Um, you know, ask any of your friends right now, like, what did you have for dinner last night? Um, you know, have that conversation. What's your favorite meal? We don't talk about that stuff anymore, right? Um, what's your favorite meal? When was the last time you ate it? Um, and how has it changed? Um, doesn't matter where we sit on that social economic scale. We're all feeling it. Um, our seniors are feeling it. Um, you know, a lot of people haven't been in a place to ask for help before. And if you've never had to humble yourself like that, it is hard. Um, it is hard. Can't even, nothing to follow that up with. Um, and so people are literally going without. If I hear one common story um, from our seniors, um, we have the pet food bank is, is that they've either been skipping meals to, to continually feed their pets or they've been eating pet food. Eating pet food. Why? Food banks across this country are multi-million dollar organizations. Yet we have people eating pet food. Yeah. That's really depressing. Um, yeah. What, what do you think needs to change in our current social systems to make an impact on these issues? Um, for me, it starts at human rights. Um, you know, if, if it doesn't start at the bottom, if we've learned anything, this trickle from the top down effect doesn't work. So we have these multi-million dollar um, national organizations running the food across the country. Why are people so hungry still then? 
right? So we know this isn't working. We know that these, you know, these executive directors and these massive food banks making more than our prime minister doesn't make sense. Um, and so why? So for me, um, it's, it's putting the equity back in the conversation. If it doesn't make sense for our peeps on the streets, it doesn't make sense for anybody. If it doesn't start at the bottom with our people that need the services the most, then we're doing it wrong. Um, if it doesn't make sense um, for our community out there living rough, then who does it make sense for? Um, and so I think it's just a reconnection to those basic rights. You know, we think we're all from Canada. We, you know, we're, we have that stuff, but we don't. Yeah. So oh, it is, yeah. I mean, even running water in Canada is not a guarantee. Um, but only in certain sections um, because of racism. Um, but it kind of sounds like a similar issue here, unfortunately. It's these, the borders, right? We, these, colonial, these colonial expectations or rules put on a group of people um, that really affects their basic human rights. And so where's the equity in that? Right? Like, so if, if we have a, a group of people, and so let's look at the very micro situation of Wetaskiwin here, um, primarily indigenous demographic of houseless people, primarily over 40, um, primarily physical or emotional disabilities. Um, what are we doing to serve them? You know, what services are out here dedicated to them? Um, and what, what are we doing to ensure that, you know, our human rights are for everybody's human rights? Cause they're not. Um, and, and we can do that across this country. We can continue to look at these, these examples, these small examples of subsets of people. Um, that are treated differently, that exist differently. Um, because these these support systems aren't equitable. Um, what do you uh, wish that people understood or what do you think the biggest misconception is when it comes to food security? Ooh, that's a good one. There's a lot. Uh, for me, it's, if we give it away, people will just take it, right? Like if 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 you're barrier free or if you don't ask those questions people will misuse it um you know i heard that a lot i heard that a lot in our first year um i always say in our first year how many people do you think i had to ask to leave based on their access of services or their consumption of groceries um so how many people came in in our thirty thousand engagements um i asked one person um to leave because of of what they took um, and that was because more of a mental health issue than an actual access to groceries. Um, so the reality is people don't take too much. Um, people are super respectful of the process of, of, of the community that we've built here. Um, if anything, I chase people around putting groceries in their cart because we don't know what a week's worth of groceries looks like anymore, right? And because people want to make sure that there's some left for somebody else. Um, so if anything, you know, people still continue to go with, without even surrounded in a free grocery store um, because of that community consideration. So that's the one myth is, you know, if, if it's there, people will misuse it. No, people aren't misusing it. If anything, people are underusing it. Um, the second one is that um, the borders, right, and feeding people on social assistance. Um, 
it's not enough. Basic, basic social assistance right now is insufficient, period. Um, the services people are getting is not enough. Um, at the end of the day, if if they get, you know, $500 worth of free groceries at the end of a month, great. Um, amazing, right? Like we can't help people pay rent. We can't subsidize the cost of living. Um, but food is a basic human right. You need it to exist. You shouldn't have to pay for it if you can't afford to pay attention. Um, so what else can that money go to, right? That's childcare. That's a car payment. That's a class. That's a day off if you need it, right? Um, we, we haven't had those things in so long. Um, so for me, it started at the groceries. Um, it's just taking one of those basic needs off the list. Um, you know, taking that little bit out of somebody's cup because um, it's full right now. Uh, what is your hope for society? Uh, yeah, that's a big one. Living in Alberta, uh, it's a tough one. Um, we seem to be quite divided right now. Um, you know, what's the one thing we all agree on is food, right? We're all hungry. Um, the, the one thing we can all do together is sit around and break some bread. Um, you know, if we're going to talk about something difficult, we're going to argue stuff, some of that bread in your mouth. You don't have to say it, just have a dinner. Um, and so why can't food be for everybody, right? doesn't matter what we agree on, what we don't agree on, stuff some bread in your mouth and let's share it. Um, we all deserve it. Yeah. We all need it. Yeah. That's true. Um, how can people help or get involved? Um, like I know you guys take, and I'll put all the links for this below, but you guys take donations on a GoFundMe. Um, you take donations on PayPal. You're also looking for volunteers. You're looking for people to grow food. Um, you have a microgreen sponsorship program. Yeah, the microgreen sponsorship program is, uh, for me, that's that's the way I think we're going to achieve some sustainability right now. Um, trying to, to grant fund or to get um, funding um, with this government in place is really hard. Um, their perspective of human rights isn't the same. Um, and so it looks like that we're going to have to do this more um, social enterprise. And so growing microgreens um, was a really efficient way for us to do that. It takes very little space for us to grow microgreens and it's something big dollar value. Um, so if you know any restaurants, any even individuals, um, the microgreens goes right to our bottom line and that's how we continue to stay um, or how we even try and achieve some self-sustainability uh, here. Um, we need people reaching out to governments. Um, we need people, you know, it's the silent minority or, or silent majority of us that are service users, right? Those of us that are on disability or who have had to access age or, you know, some sort of social assistance and have struggled. Um, I'm not alone in this. I know there's a lot of us. Um, we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to, it doesn't have to be like that anymore. Um, why? Why can't we just demand change? And so we're here. I'm here with you. Um, reach out, call your MLAs, um, demand it different. Um, you know, in the service industry, what other industry um, has services that are so poorly targeted to the individuals that need them? We deserve better. Um, so stand up. Yeah. Um, what is your final statement for the people? 
Uh, final statement for the people. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Um, getting to do rock soup, like getting to do this is a literal dream. Uh, so to be able to share this dream with people is amazing. Um, you know, through all the, the, the trials and tribulations and, uh, we're in a dream here, right? Getting, getting to do this is, is truly amazing. Um, and so let's keep doing it, right? If we've done anything, it's prove that um, it's possible. If we've done anything, it's it's show that if me and all my privilege has such a hard time getting and sharing food, how the hell are other people supposed to do it? And so to not accept that anymore, right? We don't have to accept these barriers for barrier sake anymore. Um, and that we're, we're here together. Um, I think I learned if anything through COVID is that collective understanding of the struggle. Um, doesn't matter where you're from, you know, we share in a few things, food and trauma. Um, and to remember that um, we're connected in that together. And so let's sit, let's eat. Mm -hmm. um, where can people find you? I'll have the links below, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, your website. Did I miss anything? Nope, rocksoup.ca. Um, we're on the Facebooks. Um, yeah. And come in, right? A lot of food banks, um, access is the issue. Can you go in? Can you tour the food bank? Can you get a carrot, right? Can you leave the food bank eating a carrot? That's your homework, right? Check in at your local food bank. See what, they, see what the intake is like. See what access is like. Um, you know, take it a step further. Um, that's, that's what we're here for. Perfect. Um, so yeah, like I said, the links below to the website, the GoFundMe, um, the PayPal donations, the microgreen sponsorship program, the Facebook, the Instagram and the Twitter, and please go see them in person in Wetaskiwin. Um, if you're ever passing through or if you live in the area. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, I'm sorry you're dealing with so much stuff and I, yeah, I hope to see you in the years to come for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Just to be able to sit here and be witness to this is, you know, part of the dream. So we're here for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cut.